Welcome to the Vanity Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DES. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vanity Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor down. Mixed in at the very end, so be sure and listen all the way to the end for that. Anyway, now on to our interview with Mitch. Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us today. Mitch has been a longtime regular on the podcast. His schedule just got so hectic last year that that he didn't have time to do that anymore. But we got him back for right now and looking forward to talking football and some baseball with him today. Mitch, thanks for joining us again. Uh, No problem, Chris. It's been probably 10 months. So glad to be back. I think it popped up as nine months on on the window, which I couldn't believe. Okay. But it's been a you know the last few months have been a whirlwind. So sure, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome, I'm, I'm sure your your listeners and and other guests have have said this, but I'll just uh, echo what everyone said. Glad to have you back in the saddle. Well, here, here's a fun fact. Um, according to the medical bills, I'm worth about a quarter of a million dollars more than the last time we did this. That's uh, that's a lot of money. That's a sobering when you see Upgrades. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that's that's a lot of money. So hopefully you you know hopefully that wasn't all out of pocket. I mean I know <laughs> no. you, I know you got tons of money, but hopefully you get a little help from insurance. Uh, yeah, unfortunately insurance covered most of it. We did have yeah. a little bit of a bill to pay, and and we had some listeners who who chipped in and helped. And I want to want to thank them for that too. But let's talk baseball before we get into football. Mitch, it was just a weird year. It was a weird ending to the year. Vanderbilt's now got a couple of transfers at LSU and another one at South Carolina. What do you make of the state of the baseball program right now? So yeah, it was it was definitely a strange year. I mean, every year we kind of go into it. Those of us that follow the, the the team, whether it be fans or media, you know, rightfully so, have high expectations based on the previous success and the talent level. And there there's no doubt. Anytime you lose two of the best pitchers in program history, two of the best pitchers in college baseball, that you're gonna there's some uncertainties and you know it's funny the way it worked out like Carter Holton turned out to be the one dependable pitching commodity when maybe you know Nick Maldonado we thought could be hey Chris McElvain was a a very good pitcher for this team um not the most consistently elite but had obviously through seven innings of no hit ball so was very good um you know Davis Diaz looked like another unbelievable not fine because we knew how good he was heralded coming in but look like one of those guys you just plug in is going to hit 350 as a freshman it's like oh where they you know this guy's going to be a mainstay for three years and he obviously struggled big time with the bat you couldn't have really predicted carter Young's struggle so um it was a weird lineup very top heavy you know getting so much of the production from three guys um so you know it was a team, and obviously we saw what happened with Ole Miss in the College World Series, and it's just it goes to show what college baseball, you know, college basketball. We talk so much time about the bubble, but those teams don't really matter. I mean, sure, VCU one year as a first four team got to the Final Four, but we know there's proof that college baseball teams that are talented that slip up in the regular season, three seeds can can win it all. So I'm not saying like we should have gone into the postseason thinking Vanderbilt was going to make it to. The, win the College World Series, but it wouldn't have been a shock to anyone if they, you know, won that Corvallis Regional and they, they lost by one game. So um, I'm kind of all over the place here. So, you know, state of the program, um, obviously, you know, obviously still tons of talent. Obviously, they need some things to happen in the lineup uh, next year to return to that elite status. Um, 
you know, they need some Spencer Jones type jumps from a talented kid who was unproven to one of the best hitters in the country. Who those guys might be, we we don't know right now. I mean, I know that they like Matthew Polk a lot. Can can, can Calvin Hewitt in a regular role, uh, injury free season, be that guy there? Um, so you know, Carter Holton is a great place to start the rotation. Looks like Devin Futrell, who was really good most of the season, slipped up as the competition. You know, I thought he pitched okay in that Arkansas game, even though he gave up some home runs, but then against LSU and some other games. But great way to in the season with that performance against Oregon State. So there's there's always going to be enough pitching. You just need to define some roles. And I, I think this, you know, you follow this closely and you, you jump in anytime. It, it, knock on wood for Vanderbilt, it looks like other than some of the elite guys at the top, there's a chance they could do pretty well in this draft getting guys through. And that's something we just never know. There's so many guys that come in every year and you just don't really know who the freshmen are going to be. I remember I barely had heard of Austin Martin and then talked to someone in the preseason like, yeah, this guy's going to be in the opening day lineup. I'm like, oh, wow. And then we, we know how good he turned out to be. So, you know, I understand it's not just the same. This this program's on a roll. The competition's getting even better in the SEC. Obviously, Tennessee being a, a major factor uh, hasn't been the case. You know, there, there's more good teams than ever in the SEC, but I, I still expect Vanderbilt to be, you know, one of the one of the top programs in the country over the next three to five years. Well, to the draft, in case people didn't catch it this week, they got the kid, uh, and I will probably botch the pronunciation of his name, but Andrew DeConyich, yeah, pitcher who was a kid that I had heard rumored. He and Noah Schultz were the two that I've heard they had a really good chance to get to camp. Yeah, Schultz so is one, of one that yeah. – Yeah, and I think Schultz is, from what I've heard – I mean, they're both obviously very good, but I think Schultz getting both those guys would be would be huge for the staff. Yeah, Schultz is the one who's getting the Randy Johnson comps. That's not bad. Yeah, I would I would take that. So yeah, and um, you know, it looks like Dylan Lesko. His for a while it seemed like there was maybe some momentum that he would drop enough, and his number was too high. But I saw him. Kylie McDaniel had him 15 in his mock today. So I, you know, I, he's not a guy that would pitch next year. Um, but um, you know, I, I just think that there seems to be, and this might be misguided, but, you know, all the mocks I follow and some people I talk to, it seems like a lot of their really, other than the Drew Jones and the Dylan Lesko, maybe that group, and Berea, is that the pitcher's name? Um, other than that group, a lot of them are in that sort of maybe 50 to 100 range, not in the top 30 to 35. So maybe there's more hope of some of those guys slipping through. Yeah, I think a lot of times that's where you make or break your class, like Arkansas, for example, got a couple of guys and Stovall yeah. and Hagen Smith through Vanderbilt. The most recent example that comes to mind with that, and I'm sure there've been others, is the year they got Fulmer and Bueller in. They were probably in that range where I don't know if they were going to be first rounders. They might have been, but they put out, I guess, a number that was high enough that teams stayed away. And you saw how that ended. Yeah, and. Not making excuses for Vanderbilt. It's something you need to do in your draft calculus. And for a while, it seemed like Tim Corbin had that secret sauce. Well, the last few years, maybe not. You know, Davis Diaz was someone they got through, but they've they've really missed, you know, gotten killed in the draft recently. And one or two guys can change the momentum of your program. I mean, Oklahoma, you know, was, was it Horton? The kid, the, um, the, the sophomore, Horton. Yeah. yeah, he was an Oklahoma, a Norman native who had Tommy John surgery, missed last year, right, and basically pitched them to the College World Series. And let's say that guy goes in the draft a year and a half, two years ago. Oklahoma's, you know, a three seed somewhere, and we, we never hear of him this year. And so um, it, there's just so many unknowns in college baseball. Now you, then you throw in the transfer part of it. Um, you know, I think Vanderbilt's starting from a good 
base of a lot of talent, but I, I would, for those that I would agree that heading into next year, there may be more uncertainties than we've seen in, in years. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, of course, Kumar Rocker, the most recent guy, I, w- I was thinking of pairs uh, because those two in, in Fulmer and Bueller were the same year. Of course, Kumar Rocker got through where he otherwise probably would have been a middle of the first round guy, what, in, in the 2018 draft? Yeah. And then Jack Leiter, I, I don't know where Leiter would have gone, but it, it would have been high. And that's another one. And of course, they get those guys through. Yeah. They were good enough that there was an immediate payday for, for the program with, with that. Of course, they, they won a, a title in 19 with Rocker. Who knows how 20 would have ended. And then in 21, they're the last team standing except for Mississippi State. So you get big studs like that through the draft. And in the rebuild, not that it's a rebuild here, but you know what I mean. The, the reload, I guess, accelerates pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about uh, Nick Maldonado's brother? He seemed like he was pretty highly rated, um, top yeah, 150 kid nationally. Uh, yeah, or I think I'd, I'd seen top 200. I don't know about okay. 150. I mean, it's, it's probably depends on who you ask. I, I don't know much. That caught me flat-footed. But if people don't know what we're talking about, Nick Maldonado's brother, Chris Maldonado, was a shortstop commitment to Clemson, who, when Clemson fired Monty Lee and hired Eric Bockich, he got out of his commitment and, and joined Nick at Vanderbilt. So that'll be an intriguing name. It'll in be intriguing to see Derby. if Nick Nick that leads Nick to you know more momentum for him coming back to play with his brother for a year. I have no idea. I'm just speculating. Yeah, well, it, it can't hurt. I would right. think unless, unless maybe, they hate maybe, each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why Nick Chris didn't sign here because he didn't want to play with his brother because he hates him. <laughs> Right, could could Just be. By, by the way, if people weren't aware, Clemson came really hard after Tim Corbin. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd heard that too. Um, they they survived that one. So that, that's a good book to write in twenty years with Tim. Every school that I turned down, like in chapters, you know. Right, he could make a there's, T-shirt out of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot that people know about. And there's probably some people don't know about. Hey, here's one. By the way, I don't mind saying this now. I might have said this on the pod. Did you know that um, Kevin Sullivan's turned down Oklahoma one year? No, I did not. I couldn't even tell you. Maybe when they hired Lon Kruger. I was just interviewing Stallings for a um, uh, Athlon story once, and we were just talking. He's like, yeah, Oklahoma called. And, you know, just it was one of the years when they were good in the early 2012, 13 range or something like that. And he's like, yeah, no. And I know Virginia uh, was very interested one year in him. Um, so that's that's always a not just with Vanderbilt coaches. That's, that's always a fascinating, you know, finding out years later what, what could have been. Right, right. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of what could have been about the basketball program these days, it seems like. so. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, it, it's funny. Last time when Monty Lee got the job and in, in, uh, Jack Leggett was fired, Chris, it seems just like there was such ill will from that Jack Leggett tree. It's like, don't even come after Tim Corbin or O'Sullivan or even Backage, who was just there for one year. You know, we don't we want nothing to do with Clemson after they treated Jack Leggett like this. And then six or seven years later, time heals all wounds. And now they're one big happy family. They go after, you know, Corbin. They recommends Backage and all this stuff. So in Benton Leggett's at the press conference. So it's funny how th- those things work. Well, another example, too, is Josh Holiday at Oklahoma State. Yes. Oh, I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but like, I, I, as I probably used to say in this pod, and you, I probably told you, it's like I knew Jenny Holiday very well. My, my wife, Heather, taught their daughter, Olivia. And we were talking. She's just like, yeah, they don't when, – when, when Josh was at Vanderbilt, like they didn't follow Oklahoma State. They, had, they wanted nothing to do with the program and all that. And now it's, it's a holiday family reunion there every week. 
So you're saying Vandy's going to bring Kevin Stallings back? Is that what you're getting at? Uh, maybe his son. I don't know. Baseball <laughs> could, coach. Could replaced, be. <laughs> replaced Tim Corbin. So, no. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I mean, just across college, we're like, those are examples. Right. Just it's it, time, just people, egos get put aside, and, you know, there's no reason for – there's no reason for Eric Backage to say no to Clemson because, you know, he was there for one year, 20 years ago, and they happened to fire the guy he worked for. Right. Well, well let's make this come full circle and, sure. and get to where I wanted to go with most of the podcast today. Um, of course, a guy who had Vanderbilt past ties, Clark Lee, came home a year ago, a year and a half by the calendar. Uh, first year wasn't so hot. But for reasons you and I can understand, I think, and this is probably your understanding too, I don't think they knew quite what they walked into until they got here, and I don't think they knew quite what they got into maybe until the the football season was well underway. But rough start aside, how do you see the staff, maybe where this is headed with recruiting and your overall perception of, of how the program is being run and perceived? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll have, I think most of my comments will be, I don't think I'll have any unique comments. I think a lot of people that follow Vanderbilt will probably, you know, we have, Chris, we haven't talked, but, you know, a lot of the stuff, I think you'll agree with me. Um, you know, I think it's still on paper the worst team in the SEC, but that's to be expected based on what we saw on the field last year. What you want to see this year is just a more competitive group. You want to see, you want to see strides made offensively, defensively in every way possible. You know, last year, um, South Carolina games, the game they, they should have won, not could have won, should have won that game. But for the most part, they were, the, I was using this term, like alarmingly uncompetitive in so many games, um, especially early in the season. You know, they showed some signs of life more offensively late in the year, ability to move the ball. Um, but it was just, it, it's it, the, the talent level, as you referred to, was just, you, you don't really know until you get there and you see it. And I, I looked this up last year, just having conversations and, and don't, Hold me to these numbers because it's so easy to compare the first year of different regimes and people could sit there and say, oh, James Franklin, you know, went six and seven in his first year. I I, won't, I looked it up in the season. I think that staff inherited 11 guys who would go on to play in the NFL. Wow. And they weren't like, they weren't freshmen or sophomore either. They were, for the most part, all upperclassmen. Now, OK, you can say give them credit for developing them. That's great. I agree with that. But they inherited some guys who could play football and and created a winning culture right away i look at last year's team chris i don't know maybe some of the younger guys who are some of the receivers uh, is there an nfl player on that who played on that team last year i don't well, know i'm glad you mentioned this because i meant to bring this up in a pod and i just between surgery and all that I, I haven't had the occasion yet with the the flow of the topics but i think a big indictment on the lack of talent they had is what they didn't have anybody drafted in this year's draft and I think they had what two guys and Alan George and Chris Pierce invited camp period am I wrong or or am Um, I missing anybody I'm trying to think Chris I think that was it Um, do do you Mitch do you ever remember a year where they they didn't have more invited to camp I mean they always get five or six guys invited to camp and one or two drafted to have two guys who are worthy of a camp invite, and and by the way, I mean I'm I'm not surprised. You could see it coming. I didn't look at that field and say I, if I were an NFL GM, I'd invite this guy or this guy. I mean, it just was. It's about as bare as I ever remember the talent cupboard being at Vanderbilt as long as I've followed it. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, Bobby Johnson's first year was not great, but he had Jay Cutler quarterback. So you could see earlier in that year that they had the right guy quarterback. That's sort of what I was transitioning to, like looking forward to this year, looking toward this year. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think. I know you have Ken Seals on, on the podcast here. Um, I don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Seemed to be like a lot of Mike Wright momentum late in the year. The offense moved, seemed to move better with Mike Wright. Maybe that was because of the, um, you know, the struggles in the offensive line, his ability to run the ball. Like, I think they're good at running. I think they're good enough at running back. I think there's enough quality at wide receiver and tight end to do some things on offense. But I don't know if they got the quarterback situation figured out right now. Like, I don't know if the guy who starts game one this year, even though they're all underclassmen on the roster, like my confidence level in the guy who starts game one this year is going to be the starting quarterback in 223, 2023 isn't great, um, which is not not that big of a problem. There's there's fluctuations, there's staff, there's there's turnover positions. But I guess my point point being, I'd feel better about the immediacy of improving this year if they really had the right guy in place at quarterback. Yeah, I will be surprised if their starter is anybody other than Mike Wright for Hawaii. But I'm with you. I wonder, does a healthy Ken Seals make a move a few games in? Does A.J. Swan make a move? His his arm is tremendous, but he's a freshman. He just don't know how he's going to respond. And, of course, the line is going to be a question again. I don't know how they're going to block for whoever the quarterback would be. Again, I think that gives Wright a little bit of an edge. But I'm with you. That's how I see it going into fall. But from there, it could go in a number of directions. Yeah, and going to the you know recruiting, it seems to be you know, on paper, you know, the, the class seemed very solid, especially for a Vanderbilt class last year. I like you know all confidence in that Barton Simmons clearly knows what he's doing. I'll, I'll say this in my my job at the Athletic. Um, I'm on a staff of one of seven editors, you know, 25, 30 writers. You know, we got a lot of people that are really plugged in. And we were out in Phoenix a couple months ago for a, a college football summit. And one of the one of our national writers came up to me, knows I went to Vanderbilt. And he's uh, uh, he was visiting some some big 12 schools, put it that way, and, and came to me and said, uh, by the way, uh, Barton Simmons is killing it. Like just as far as evaluations, the, the, the couple staffs mentioned to this guy because, you know, all they do is talk, talk and gossip about other schools that they were very high on some of the evaluations Vanderbilt had been making in the last couple of years. So, I mean, that's what you hope for. You hope that the staff can can, you know, get some of the guys, that the you know, the, the, the top 500 guys that they've gotten the past couple of years. But then those guys in that 600 to 900 range, they, they can unearth some guys that are great fits. And I think we saw that at the end of the cycle last year, some of the guys in when the re-rankings came out, kind of jumped up as, oh yeah, we need to take another look at that guy. He's, he's, he's got, you know, you know, he maybe slipped through the cracker for whatever reason. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, there's hard, it's hard to, to find fault with what they're doing. Yeah. I talked to someone on the staff at length last week. They feel good about a number of freshmen being able to help them. Um, I, I've, I've talked to people over there and they're just things that you have to kind of stick in your pocket and can't repeat, but you use as context. And just the way they have a plan for things, the specifics they look for at different positions, just every time I talk to somebody over there, you feel like everything's got design and purpose. That doesn't ensure success, but uh, not, not to just take unnecessary shots at Derek Mason, but it just never seemed to be that way with them. They are they are very enthusiastic about getting media people out there to see what they're doing, to look behind the scenes, to see, 
the progress they're making, to see the enthusiasm they're trying to generate. And to me, I mean, that doesn't prove anything. But when you're kind of very transparent about what you're doing and, and proud of your process and, and kind of wanting people to see what you're doing, not, not in a way that, you know, obviously they don't want all their secrets stolen, but I think they want people, fans and media, to, to, to see what they're doing in order that it can build some confidence that they're headed in the right direction. And I, I just have been, again, last year was was not the season anybody wanted. Were there some things the coaching staff could have done differently? Absolutely. But I feel like, right or wrong, they have a pretty good sense of, of, of where they want to go with things and a pretty workable plan to get there. And I think a lot of that does start with Barton. And, and talent evaluation, and, and I think everybody believes he's very good at that. Yeah, I, so like uh, when you're observing a program, do you just do you feel like it's like in, in good hands? And I think we all think that Vanderbilt football right now is in good hands. The, the one thing I would say from a staff that concerned me, and each one can be, ex, you know, excused, that's not the right word, you know, rationalized away. I wouldn't have liked, I would have preferred to see less staff turnover. Now, it's hard to say, it's hard to say, to tell you defensive coordinator, Jesse Mentor, don't take the job at, at Michigan. You know, your defensive coordinator at Michigan, that's a huge job. You know, uh, off the top of my head, I'm, you know, a couple of guys went to the NFL. Maybe that's their goal. But, you, you know, at some point, and I think, the you know, the what happened with the offensive coordinator last year and all that stuff, I think w- what you really want to see over the next two or three years is some staff continuity. And, again, maybe those were just isolated incidents. They all happened at once. But uh, uh, he seems to have done a, a good job replacing. I've heard good things about Dan Jackson, the secondary coach, and uh, Larry Black on the defensive line. So I, I think they did a good job replacing him. But uh, at some point, you, you kind of want to see some, some um, stability is the word I'm looking for. Well, on, on the flip side, that does show, I guess there's a silver yeah. lining to every cloud. Sure. It, it, it does show, for the most part, an ability to evaluate assistance, too, because he lost, what, one or two to the NFL. He lost one to a, a top 10 job. And so uh, there is something to, I guess, his being able to identify coaching talent, too, or at least it seems to be the case based on last year. Yes. No, I, I agree. It's there's there's definitely different ways to look at everything. And you don't want to, you know, certain staffs get stale and guys aren't, you know, haven't been called about a job in years. So it, it's it's normal to have some turnover. Um, you'd like, you know, from a coordinator standpoint, I just think it helps the players more. Um, but, you know, Joey Lynch was the, the de facto offensive coordinator anyway last year, the play caller. So they do have some stability there. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster. So go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. I'm looking at the the, the, the depth chart here in my, in my Athlon Sports Magazine, which um, 
it's always weird for me to get those since I don't work on them anymore and see if any players. Here, here's a guy. I mean, I've I've heard I, the guy who writes for Lindy's is way better. Uh, illiterate was the term I was heard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here, here's a guy that I think we all think that can. You know, Ben Bresnahan, who I guess was hurt more than we thought thought last year. He he. I don't want to hyperbole here, but he has some of the best hands of any Vanderbilt pass catcher that I remember in 10, 15 yeah. years making contested catches. So I think he's a guy that healthy can can really make a big difference. Yeah, and, and the staff got a lot of criticism for that. But if there was an injury there, I guess they they fell on their sword for, for him. So in any case, I, I would yeah. think he'd be a bigger part of the offense. Um, let's grab the mailbag. That is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. That number, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Bobby Two Times asks, what is the biggest deficiency of the coaching staff? What will need to be Coach Clark Lee's biggest coaching jump from year one to year two? Now, you answer that a little bit, I guess, Um with with the turnover, I don't know if that's hitting it head on, but I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I difficult for me to answer because part of the reason I stopped doing the podcast last year was because with my job working Saturdays and being involved with coverage of other teams, I did not watch Vanderbilt football. First of all, you know, as a sideline reporter for seven years, so obviously I watched every game closely. I didn't watch with uh, as closely, so I didn't know the team as well. So I, it's difficult for me to sit here and say this needs to happen. I, I will say in in my one of my Good friends from high school went to the University of Michigan. He's a diehard Michigan fan. So he called me up. He's like, or texted me, like, what's the deal with Jesse Menner? I said, seemed to be a good guy, good coach. I will say that the other team seemed to, in the first two drives of the game, almost every week go up and down the field like it, they were playing against air. So that would be my one, not saying they weren't prepared, but for whatever, I don't know if you agreed with me on that. Oh, you're right. Seemed, yeah, they so gave like, up a touchdown almost every drive on the first. Yeah, like drive. the Colorado State game, like that. The first two drives of that game was maybe the most alarming ten minutes of Vanderbilt football I'd ever seen, considering the opponent. Um, so I would say maybe you know shore up the defense in the first quarter, don't give up eighty yards in three, five, four plays. You know that would be my hat. You know I'm half kidding on that, but uh, I never so just didn't feel like the defense w- was uh, you know seemingly ready in those first few drives. The other thing I would add is the offensive coaching staff. I mean, Joey Lynch has, has done a solid job, but there's not been a year that he had, you know, like a top 10 offense in the country. So I would say, and I know last year wasn't necessarily on Joey Lynch. You had that weird thing where David Rye was fired for a while and, and, and nobody knew about it or demoted. And then they had changed coordinators. I don't know exactly all the complications that caused, but I'm sure it wasn't smooth. And so I, I think you have. Uh, like you, you would maybe like to see a little more pedigree with the offensive coaching staff. I don't know what's realistic for them to hire, um, you know, at, at the state, given the state of the program. But that's one I might throw in too. Yeah, that's kind of like why I like the David Rye hired. Even though I never heard of the guy. It's like, okay, here's a guy that no one's ever heard of. Smart guy. Maybe he'll like be this wizard on offense. And it turned out that like he couldn't do the. I don't know the details. Couldn't do the job. Maybe that's not right. But ended up with just sort of a proven commodity a guy who knows what he's doing but isn't you know isn't the sexiest hired uh but that's not to mean that's not to say that he won't do a good job as the talent improves so um yeah i, I think that's fair believe 22 asks do you have any concerns mm-hmm. any and all caps with beating hawaii it feels like that should be an easy win given their turmoil but i would love to hear an expert opinion i will have to 
preface that question by asking Believe how long he's been a Vandy fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually a realist in the fact that, like, when some people say, oh, Vanderbilt's going to lose that game, that team's terrible. Like, no, like, how am I trying to say this? Like, sometimes I, like, tell people, no, this other team's really, really bad. Vanderbilt's going to win, no problem. Like, realist in that regard, like, where I don't just think Vanderbilt's going to lose all the games. I probably didn't say that the the best way. Um, So let me say Hawaii is not a very good team right now. My my concern. So, is there any concern? Yes, there's a concern because Vanderbilt's going, you know, four thousand miles away to play a game. Um, Timmy Chang is the new head coach there, beloved former Hawaii quarterback. His first game for whatever you know. I think with Ty Graham last year, they they were um, the morale in that in that program was horrendous. I think the morale, especially in week one under a new coach, will be very, very good. So you're going to face a team. I would say, like, throw the film away. Not that fans are watching film, but it's good. The team's going to look completely different. They're going to do some things on offense probably that, you know, they haven't done in a while. Um, Vanderbilt's probably a more talented team. It's a game Vanderbilt should win. Um, but, you know, this team, this program right now is not good enough to, to go into any game saying that. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of pro or parallels, maybe not exact, between Hawaii's offseason and the one Vanderbilt went through a year ago. Yeah, except that Derek Mason was a nice guy and Todd Graham's a jerk. Well, I mean, yes, I was. Yeah. Th- that's yeah. that's. <laughs> I know. I know you weren't hitting it. You know, you weren't saying that at all. But I just. Uh, well, that that's the word you hear universally used for him. Um, yeah, but point By is, the way, he, uh, he's. I don't know if this ever got he. We, he was interviewed for the Vanderbilt head coaching job the, the the year James Franklin got it. I did not know that. He was one of maybe four or five people interviewed. I yeah. I, I heard that he was not the most impressive. Yeah, that, I think that Mason and, and Graham imploded programs in different ways. But yes, total total opposite personality-wise. But Graham just seems to do that everywhere he goes. Yes. He had a, good, a couple good runs. I mean, did Graham Rice's first year was good at Tulsa, but uh, just... Supposedly not. I don't know the guy, but supposedly he's you know not very well liked by his peers. Denverdor asks, "Do you see any concern with selling a future facilities vision that won't be realized for three to four years? Some of these recruits might be seniors before they get to experience the new upgrades." Uh, not really, because I mean, they're, they're recruit the kids are recruiting now won't be on campus for another fall you know, another year and a half, I guess the only thing you'd be like the, the guys who are freshmen now might say, Hey, you know, I thought it was going to be here when I was a sophomore or whatever. So, I mean, everything, uh, I guess you'd always like things done sooner rather than later, but I don't, that'd be like one of the least of my concerns. Well, for sure. It's going to get a little easier every passing year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if someone wants to sit there and say, I don't want to go to the place because something's not going to be built in my junior year. I get it. That's, that's their choice, but it's not like they don't, they, they, you know, they're, they don't know what's going on. Like I had a friend who, this is a, maybe a stupid tangent, but who moved here from Seattle, went to Vanderbilt law school. And the two of the three years that he was there, it was like under construction the entire time. And like they had class, real small cramped classrooms and he always wanted to pay half price, but shockingly they charged him full tuition. I can't believe that. I have a yeah. feeling that, uh, that football players are more cognizant of facilities than law school students. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he, uh, I don't think that factored in when he picked Vanderbilt. Ann Arbordor says, is there any reason to think the NCA might follow through on threats to enforce NIL and booster collective recruiting violations? Why or why not? 
Um, very, very complicated and complex situation. Um, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think they don't, I think it's very difficult for it because it's all on the burden of proof. How do you prove someone what their, uh, their reason for school for going to a school was, um, um, I would say that certain schools are definitely aware of the potential of issues down the road. And that is a reason they are reluctant to use it as an incentive for kids to go. You know, there's a lot of schools out there that are invested in IL, but don't want to, don't want their coaches to, to dangle it out there as the, the reason to go because of that. Um, I also will say, this is just sort of, I'm very kind of involved in a lot of the stuff going on with Jalen Rashada, Jaden Rashada at Miami. like the one thing about NIL, don't believe a lot of things. Don't believe everyone lies. Don't believe a lot of things you hear out there. Um, so, um, you know, we haven't talked on the subject, Chris, I think probably most people, a lot of fans share my, I would think like, I think NIL is great. It's fine for the guys to get money. I don't think it should be used as a recruiting inducement. Um, I use Tennessee as a great example. Like Hendon Hooker's done great things for that program. He was a great quarterback. He should be able to profit off his name, image, and likeness because Tennessee makes a lot of money off him and how exciting he is. I don't think an incoming freshman should be given that right. Not right. I don't know what the word is, but it's like I think you should have to quote unquote earn it. Maybe that makes me an old man. Um, but I think there's a lot of coaches that feel that way, that they're all for their guys getting money, but they don't want to use it as a recruiting inducement. So it's, just, but a lot of it's keeping up with the Joneses, but there's also a lot of, like, I was just editing an Alabama story, recruiting story that basically in our Alabama writers plugged in. He's like, Alabama's recruiting is not, they're missing on some five stars because of NIL reasons that they are not as, if the word you want to use is advanced as other schools. So it's, it's, it's being affected. Every program is almost like being affected at every level. Um, but do I, to answer Ann Arbor's question, do I specifically think schools that have used it as an inducement are going to get in NCAA trouble? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think of the whole situation at Miami and especially what happened this week? Well, that's what the, kind of what I was referring to about like, don't right, believe the right. numbers. Um, so what, what do you think the number was? I don't know. We have a lot of people reporting on this situation. We're going to have an, we're going to have a big story on this in a couple of weeks, maybe. Um, uh, we're, we're working on it, put it that way. I don't know if we're going to have a, a story at the athletic. Um, like it's, so I, I don't know. I mean, you've got people saying that, uh, he turned down millions more from Florida than you have Florida saying they didn't offer anything. Like someone's lying there. And, uh, it was, I think most people think that he wanted to go to Florida, that he was all set to go to Florida and, uh, then Miami came back and with a quote unquote better offer, a better deal and all that. Um, now some people say he hasn't even signed a deal yet. Like, uh, on the quote unquote $8 million quarterback, like our Stu Mandel, he saw the contract. So he, he knows that money is real. Um, but no one has seen a contract for Jalen, Jaden Rashada. So we don't really know. Um, so it's just, uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's a kind of who you believe, but what you can prove as well. So, you know. I know it was reported in on three, um, certain dollar amount, but I, I don't, I don't know that to be the case. I was talking to someone on a power five within a power five basketball program yesterday. I'll just, I'll put it that way. And this guy told me that every scholarship player on their team was going to be getting north of 75 grand next year for an aisle. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, 
shock me. Um, but like, that's one that I'm okay. Like if they're already there, it's great. Now, do they do something for it? I would hope they do something for it and not just like sign one autograph and they're paid $75,000. Um, it's the, it's the inducements, the recruiting inducements, which I think are not good for the sport. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know how they control it though. I mean, yeah. There's I'll, no I'll one, give you, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go. I'm, I was just rambling. Go ahead. Well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll sidebar a little bit here. I think a lot of what is behind the frustration and maybe the inhale efforts too is, is the fact that the NCA has never been able to enforce in a long time with any meaningful degree. I mean, Will Wade, perfect sure. example of that. I have a, a buddy in compliance, and we were talking one day. I said, how do you ever get control of this? And he said to me, he said, you know what? What, what they need to do, instead of having the NCA in charge of you know penalties, what about the way the justice system works? You have a jury of your peers. So <laughs> if, if Florida State is, is on trial for something, I'm just pulling a name out of thin air. You know, you've got a jury of Oklahoma State and Missouri and Minnesota and UCLA and, you know, Rutgers or whoever. I, I thought, man, that's a great idea. I don't know why no one has ever pursued that before, but that, that seems like a much more effective way to enforce things than, than what's been in existence as long as you and I have been alive. Well, I think the execution of that would be difficult. Um, and then you'd have people saying favorites, you know, the nice, the, the coaches that people like, I guess in theory that they wouldn't be as well liked if they cheated. So I don't know. It's like the whole thing needs to be blown up and, and started from scratch as far as an enforcement issue. But now like, what's the point of enforcement if NIL is legal? The right. only way that, you know, can they, is the whole inducement thing. Cause nothing else is in theory, you know, against the rules. Um, so it's, I mean, there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of thoughts. It's, it's, it's been poorly run for years and it got to this point where you know if 10 years five ten years ago they were kind of kind of figured out this this was coming down the pike then they could have gotten ahead of it a little bit more but um you know i think it was doug matthews who said once on the radio you know why the ncaa rule book is so big it's because coaches keep breaking the rules right um and there was a thought here i've lost it so i'll just go on to the next question oh i know what it was what do you think happens to to Tennessee? I think that is still yet to be decided. LSU has got the Will Wade thing. I mean, in light that players can now legally get paid, I, I do wonder how that affects how those schools get dealt with, or or does it at all? I mean, you that's mean, just gone like, so will they just quiet. Say, screw it. <laughs> will they just say screw it? Like right. I I can see that because you know people. I'm never like this, but people are outraged when schools get put on probation and say, oh, the kid, the, the kid wasn't there. You know, these kids, the kids on the current roster weren't affected by this. Well, like you got to you got to publish someone, pu punish someone. And there's any school where someone cheats, there's some sort of not saying the AD or the president like encourages it, but there's usually some sort of climate and culture that allows it. So you got to publish, punish someone. But I can see in this scenario where they're like, you know, like I said, just they would never say it this way, but screw it. We're punishing kids for getting money when now kids are getting 10 times that amount of money. Let's just start from scratch. I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, I mean, the, those cases aren't closed, so something could be coming happening. Something could be happening. Yeah, I mean, it's been really quiet. I, I guess maybe our hint was the fact that the NCAA actually finally came down on LSU with something. 
and LSU reacted. So I guess you wouldn't go through all that trouble years later if you just could have let it die on the vine, probably. Yes, I yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's I, maybe it's a dangerous precedent to set um, if you just drop it, you know. So right, I guess we'll. I was gonna say we'll find out soon, but knowing the way the NCAA works, we won't find out. Yeah, soon. We'll, we'll find out on a random Tuesday three years from now. But yeah, exactly. Ann Arbor asks, how do you assess the impact of NIL and immediate transfer to Vanderbilt sports programs? Will these changes have a negative impact to Vanderbilt related to state schools, or does the VU degree mitigate the risk in some way? I don't know, really. I mean, I think it's still way too early. Um, you might, you know, I I don't know what the what's in place for current athletes. I mean, I know um, – I think the transfer rule, you know, we, we've seen some very high profile guys tran- from other schools transfer to others like, you know, uh, Jordan Addison at Pitt leaves to go to USC, you know, for for big NIL purposes. Um, so, you know, I, I think for uh, Vanderbilt's spot on the food chain, I, I just don't think we know enough yet. I'll say this, that like there's there's a lot of schools that are really trying to figure this out and that feel like they're behind. The problem with Vanderbilt is they're doing it in the SEC, whereas if you're, you know, University of Washington is a school that I deal with a lot. Like they're, they're looking at Oregon, you know, a couple hundred miles away that's extremely active in the NIL game and Washington doesn't want to be one of those schools that uses inducements. But they're also in the same league with Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Stanford, where Vanderbilt's in a league with – a bunch of schools that are going to be heavily involved. So um, I think it's just, it's, it's an evolving thing and, and, and we just don't know enough yet. Yeah. Not to belabor the point, but I read a lot of your writers in the athletic on NIL, whether it's they're writing about it specifically or answering mailbag questions or whatever that looks like. I just get the feeling that even the people that know the most about college football have no idea where any of this is headed. Exactly. No, we talk about it all the time. I mean, I work with some of the most plugged in people in in college media, college football media, and and, and they talk to coaches and presidents and ADs and, and just we're all learning on the fly. So, you know, I'll say from a, a football standpoint, I would think that most of the kids that Vanderbilt's involved with aren't picking a school like Vanderbilt or aren't even in that range, you know, NIL, sure, does it help some, but aren't, aren't going to school for for that extra X amount of thousand dollars. You know, I, I could be wrong. There's, I'm sure there's some kids that they've talked to and they've just said, okay, we're, we can do this or we can't do this. Let's move on. Both parties move on. But, um, you know, I think a lot of the schools that Vanderbilt competes against in recruiting probably aren't swimming in those deep waters right now. The last question is from V wars. And he asks, are you hearing anything on LSU and them poaching Vandy boys to Baton Rouge? Um, I don't know. Poach. I mean, I don't think there was anything untoward about those guys going to LSU. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I, I wasn't surprised at all that Carter Young was in the transfer portal. I don't know about you. Um, I thought he just probably needed a fresh start, and I'm kind of surprised he ended up at LSU. I, I, you know, I had no insight, but thought maybe he'd go to somewhere like Washington or Washington State, where you know you can get 200 at bats, and it doesn't matter if you're you're, you're really struggling at the plate. You, you just you're going to be a guy that's going to be in the lineup every day. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure at LSU and, you know, I had heard some things about little, I kind of said to a friend, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if little transfers, um, you know, again, I had no insight, but well, I, I had heard a few things, put it that way. So, um, none of those surprised me. So I don't think it's a case where LSU is looking at the Vanderbilt roster and saying, Hey, why don't you come here? I think they probably went into the transfer portal and 
and, and looked around. Hey, LSU's not a bad place to go play baseball if they want me. Yeah, I think with Young, one of my surprises, I didn't know if he would go into the portal as much as just take his chances in the draft because he'll get picked. He'll get a little bit of yeah. money. Maybe he that was might. a little bit you of know, leverage. He's still might, Chris. Right. He, he yeah, could. Yeah. Um, so. And they've and LSU's got an established shortstop, too, in Jordan Thompson. In fact, I was on the air with Matt Moscona in Baton Rouge yesterday, who's who does a tremendous job down there at ESPN Radio. And he asked me, is Carter Young a guy who could move to second? I said, well, you know, based on the way I've seen him play short, I'm sure, but I've I've never seen that as an option at Vanderbilt. He was shortstop from day one. So that's another dynamic too, is you know, how does he go down there? Does he does he unseat their current shortstop? Does he switch positions? And I'm with you. I'm a little surprised that he chose a place like that uh, where there's a little more pressure. I thought maybe going home to Washington or somewhere like that might make a little bit more sense. I mean, the Pac-12 is still a respected baseball league. I'm, I'm not criticizing him for what he did. I'm sure he's got his reasons. They're a very nice family. But I would not have guessed when he hit the, the portal that, that LSU would be the destination because I don't know – if what he needs right now is a lot more pressure, and certainly there's no place in college baseball where there's more of it than LSU. Yeah, like I think moving him to second is like you're not taking the best advantage of his talents. Like you, you well, need and more, that, you how need does to, that help his draft stock either? Right, right, and like he he had some defensive issues this year. Like he wasn't, he still made this the wow plays. He made a far more, far too many errors. But you can attribute that to maybe not hitting as well and just not being in a, the right frame of mind. The only thing I say works at, at, Wash, at, at LSU is says they say to him, we have an elite hitting team. We don't care if you hit 180. Play great shortstop. We can live with that. I mean, I doubt they would put in those terms. But if it's just like we want you like, – and that's not something, honestly, Vanderbilt can afford to do next year. Some years it could. He could have been a shortstop. I mean, Connor Kaiser was basically in that situation at Vanderbilt for a few years. Like Vanderbilt didn't expect anything from him offensively. Now he provided something for his junior year, uh, but they knew he was an elite defender and they had hitters around him and they could live with that. Maybe that's what LSU does with Carter Young. I don't know. That's a good point because you looked at their box scores. It's like some of their players that exchanged fielders gloves for chainsaws uh, as many errors as they were making. Certainly they're going to have the hitters, I mean, if you could solidify short with him, and, and I think you could count on him to field a dependable short for sure. I don't think he's going to just drop balls and stuff like he did, um, you know, going right. forward. But yeah, I, I see your point there, and it's a good one. Last thing before I go, uh, just to make a mention of it, you can or can't comment on it. But Vanderbilt got a commitment today from Isaiah West out of Good Pasture, so that's the uh, I guess the third. Good pasture guard in our memories that's gone to Vanderbilt. So the yes. Commodores pick up a hoops commit for, excuse me, 2023. Yeah, he's a guy that's been obviously on the radar for years, um, was a top 50 player nationally for a while, uh, you know, tore his ACL um, and then dropped in. So although ESPN has thought was in the top 50, but he's like dropped much more in the composite. I, I have, a, I have a, a good friend who, who has kids that go to good pasture and, um, just, you know, just raves about him. Just supposedly a great kid too. Like absolutely no ego. Like he's been a been a star since he was in eighth and ninth grade. Been a star. Great defensive player. Great mid range game. Great athlete. Maybe not a dead. You know, kind of a combo guard. I think he's recruited as a point guard. Maybe not a dead eye shooter of a shooting guard. But uh, um, he's physical. This kid, you know, says he plays bigger than his six three frame. So definitely a good get. 
um, for Vanderbilt in the, the, the to start to jumpstart their twenty three class. Mitch, I'm out of questions, so I'll give it to you for parting thoughts, and of course, give us your Twitter handle, anything you'd like to promote at the Athletic or things like that. All right. Well, I can be reached at uh, at uh, Mitch Light, and I am now co-host of a podcast at the Athletic called um, Stars Matter. It's a recruiting podcast with Ari Wasserman. We started it last September. I've gone every week. Haven't missed a week since. It's doing quite well. Love the podcast. We love talking recruiting. It's not really, you know, these five guys committed. It's more big picture stuff. A lot of recruiting theory. We have a lot of guests on as other athletic writers, um, and we just recorded today. Uh, it'll be out tomorrow morning. It's part of the Andy Staples show and friends feed um, on the athletic. You can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you're an athletic subscriber, you can get it on the actual athletic site, but you can also get it for free on the Andy Staples show and friends feed. It's called stars matter. Give it a listen. Um, we, we enjoy doing it. You guys do great work at the athletic. I'm a subscriber. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. And, and hopefully we can do this again soon. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Take care, bud. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.